Magic.me is the world's greatest school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. You can learn everything there from chaos magic to hermeticism to meditation to how to supercharge your finances and take absolute control of your destiny. In short, you get all of the tools you need to turn chaos into beautiful, scintillating order and master your life. It's incredible. You've probably heard me talk about it on the show quite a lot, but check it out. It's growing fast. And I just want to say, if you're confused about where to start, because I have so many courses there, the Adept Initiative is the place to go. The Adept Initiative is the flagship course on magic.me, and it contains everything you need to know to master the most profound ancient techniques of changing your consciousness and the most modern and cutting edge tools and systems for absolutely turning your life into a masterpiece. You are really going to dig it. Go check it out, and I will see you in class. It's magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. Okay, so Timothy Wiley, how are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. And you? Very good. So I have your new book in front of me, which is called Awakening of the Watchers, The Secret Mission of the Rebel Angels in the Forbidden Quadrant. And if I'm correct, it's your fifth or sixth book in this series uh, where you've been talking about rebel angels and fallen angels and angelology. Is that is that right? Uh, yes, it's actually the fifth book. Okay. Um, I think the, um, the one that you probably is a little confusing was the, uh, the Return of the Rebel Angels, which actually one of my books, uh, and I make quite a distinction in between my books, in other words, the books that I've written, and these Rebel Angel books, of which five are now being published, uh, which are really, really very deep collaborations with um, a discarnate Rebel Angel that I have called Georgia. Um, and over the years, and it has been many years, you know, we've become good friends, and and uh, and you know, quite sufficient collaborators. And when I say collaborators, it's not me taking dictation. It's kind of, you know, her throwing up ideas. We discuss them, you know, and she'll sort of guide me here, guide me there. They're very much her books, her concepts. Um, although I think myself as a junior partner in the association. Okay. I'm wondering how you define what an angel is, because I have a feeling that your definition may be more elaborate than the general understanding. Yes. Um, yes. It, it's kind of difficult, isn't it, to kind of get into this area um, after you know, we've been so long um, kind of divorced from the greater reality, the larger reality. So, you know, angels are as real as in their dimension as we are real in ours. Right? They're real beings. They're different from us in many ways. But they're also very similar to us in many ways. Otherwise, they wouldn't understand us. Right? Now, on a very larger scale, you can break the sort of the multiverse down into two major segments. One is the outer world, right, that we can observe, you know, that we can visit in spaceships and whatnot. And then there was the inner world, and the inner world are the world are the world of the angels, right? And these are the worlds that we contact through our inner abilities, our imaginations, uh, and our intuitions, 
Nizor takes us into the inner world. And the inner world basically set the patterns for the outer world, right? In a sense, we're the hands of the angels, right? As extraterrestrials are the hands of their angels. Right? And so it goes. They guide the whole great, <laughs> the great adventure, in a sense. Because we're all on this massive adventure of discovery, of discovery of the, you know, the universe and discovery of ourselves. Um, and this continues. This continues after we die. And we move then, we move into the inner world. Right? And that's, I think, probably the, so, the, the, the widest way I can explain it. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm curious, do you, do you still take a, a Judeo-Christian view of angels, or, or is that something that's changed? No, um, I mean, angels appear, I think, in, in, every, um, in every sort of religious system, or at least uh, in the you know, old days, that's a religious system, so they don't have angels. Um, you know, um, the Judeo-Christian concept of them is just one concept. You know, you can go to another religion and, and find another concept, but the situation is that <laughs> they all know that angels exist. Right. Now, obviously, you know, since the Industrial Revolution and that little before that, you know, there has been a, a decline of belief in angels, but not so much a decline of belief, but more concentration on the physical to the um, detriment, I think, of the, uh, of the spiritual. Um, but uh, the Judeo-Christian, hmm, yeah, I, I think it's some, something is right, uh, but it gets an awful lot of things wrong. Well, I ask this because it's it's definitely. I mean, if you read Revelation or or Scripture, the the angels are or or the Quran, the angels are specifically messengers of Jehovah or Allah, and certainly in Revelation are are you know at war with non-believers. Um, but then often, like I'll often talk to um, people who are into alternative spirituality or New Age uh, beliefs, or are just followers of other spiritual paths, and I'll often hear the idea that, uh, for instance, the various pagan gods or, you know, helper beings in other religions are just a kind of like a different language for talking about angels, that angels are just appear in different forms in other cultures. But it seems to me like it maybe it can't really be both ways. Um, you know, the obviously scripture is so strict on uh, what angels are. And I'm curious where you fall on that debate. Well, I mean, yes, I mean, of course, we have a vast deal of a simplified idea of what angels are. You know, whatever um, religion you go into, you'll find a tremendous oversimplification and probably a lot of priestcraft and a lot of budging and, you know, well, you know, <laughs> why not this, why not that? Um, but as I say, the common denominator is the fact that there are this this, I would say a race of being a spirit, of course, is much larger than that. Uh, but there are these beings who accompany us in our journey through life. And as they accompany us through our previous lives as well. You know, So I think it's probably more productive to think of oneself as part of a team. You know, mm -hmm. We're the one down here. Yeah, but we've got a team. Some of them can see a little further than us, can see a little deeper than us. And if we can learn to listen to them and to work as a team, you know, tremendous things can be accomplished. 
Okay. And how do you recommend, I'm curious how you recommend contacting angels or becoming aware of those aspects of reality? Well, <laughs> um, I and a couple of friends have written um, a book on this. So if you pardon mm -hmm. uh, a little bit of self-promotion. Yes. But I'm concerned, Ask Your Angels, which is a book we wrote back in the late 80s, early 90s, is, as far as I'm concerned, probably the best book around for really getting into, you know, down, down into what is required to be able to um, make contact and then, you know, develop a whole, uh, a whole relationship with angels. Most of it, most of the problems lie with us with our disbelief, our low opinion of ourselves, you know, why would angels ever, you know, talk to me, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. And then that kind of scientific rationality. Of course, angels can't exist. I mean, <laughs> if they exist, we could see them. <laughs> well, no, actually. <laughs> um, we only see a very full spectrum of what's really going on anyway, um, as we now know. Um, so, uh, it's more a question of finding a way, and this is where Ask Your Angels is so useful, because we were given something called the grace process, which was actually given to us by the angels it, as, a, as a series of meditations that take you through the process of being able to identify these blockages, where they came from, and allows one to be able to talk to these um, entities, you know, that, that how our minds, right? and then how to release them with the angel's help. Um, so that's really uh, that's really the basic um, the basic exercise. Now I should say one thing: yes. most traditional religions advise you know don't really don't get involved with angels until you're a little bit older. And the reason for this, I think, and I speak to someone who is a little bit older is that, you know, the early part of one's life is more to do with, you know, families, business, um, aims, functions, whatever, relationships. And I think, I think in many ways one has to get a lot of that out of the way, you know, in order to be able to settle down and be quiet enough and to move slowly enough hmm. to be able to hear the subtle voices of the angels. Interesting. I know that, uh, I guess the, the traditional start age for Kabbalah is 40, and obviously the yogic paths have the the initial two rungs of purification, where your your life has got to be stable before yeah, going into right. the subtle worlds. Yeah, because it's very consuming. Once you start, I mean, you know, it's like a relationship with a, with a passionate person, you know, we you believe in. And, you know, somehow you think they know more about you than you know about yourself, mm -hmm. you know, and they've got access to information that you've no idea about. And also, you know, we form a function for them as well because, you know, we actually actualize their ideas, their concepts in many ways. We can not to say we don't have our own ideas, of course. But a lot of the patterns come down from the, from the angels. I'm curious what you think of... Um I mean, having spent so much time interacting with these levels of reality, I'm curious what you think of some of the classical manuals on, on angel contact, particularly um, Crowley or the, the, the Grimoire tradition from, from Europe. It has various conjurations and seals and incantations for contacting angels. How you feel about that now? Well, I, I should say in advance that this is, you know, this is 
This is from my understanding. I haven't experienced, for instance, Crowley's uh, uh, meditations or, or John Gee's or anything like that. But what I can say is that if you look at the experience of people who have made contact with angels down through the, certainly through the last of, um, I don't know, 800 years, for instance, you, you see how something that was very, very difficult and very, very challenging, you know, has become more and more easy. Mm-hmm. I would say easy, more and more fluid, more and more accessible down through the ages. Now, Crowley, I think, I personally am not quite sure whether the A was, uh, or whatever the entity's name was, was really an angel. Mm. Um, I think there are other explanations, because, of course, it's very busy out there. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow, it's like going to, I don't know, a North African country, you know, and when you go there, you think, oh, well, you know, everybody's from this particular country. And then you spend a day or two there, and you realize there are two very large tribes, you know, and then you go upriver, and you find, my goodness, there are tribes. Many, many, many more tribes, and it's really like this with the uh, with the the inner worlds. Uh, it's is complex. Um, it's very, very. I won't say controlled, but it's very disciplined. Um, you know, as far as I can see, everything is moving along just fine. Everybody's everybody's dancing as fast as they can, and you know, we're moving. It's difficult and it's awkward and it's painful. Uh, but we're moving through this birthing process into this genuinely new age, mm. which is going to be very different. Very different. Uh, that's certainly been my experience as well, and that's been very um, maddening in a way uh, of of trying to get a handle on what's going on out there because it's never simple and it's never like it is in the books. And it's hard to talk to people about it because if people haven't had the experience, then uh, they it's they can't talk about it. And also people tend to be if they're not very experienced, then they tend to be so open that they think everything is the same thing, uh, more or less. Or, exactly. yeah. And that's, that's, yeah. it's very hard to, it's very hard to get. And like your comment about Crowley, we have all these channeled transmissions and things like this, but who's to say, <laughs> you know, what those actually are. You know, ultimately one has to find out for oneself and one has to trust one's own inner sense and go with it, you know, mm. um, that's really the, the only thing. Now, if if, if something in Crowley's uh, uh, meditations, you know, trigger something, then fine, that's wonderful. Um, but it's actually a lot more simple, I think, than uh, than has been um, has been thought about in the past. Uh, as far as I, I know, the angels are anxious to speak to us. Hmm. <laughs> the impulse to talk to us comes very much from them. It's us. Will make it difficult. Okay. So, what would the what would the simplest method of you had already said uh, talking about clearing um, disbelief or uh, I guess low self image? You had mentioned what what would you say the simplest method of breaking through would be? Well, there really is no simple method. It's not a simple process. Hmm. It's not something that can be done overnight. It's an incremental process. Um, I mean, for instance, it took me two years uh, from the time of. I was told by somebody, else, an angel coming through somebody else, that I didn't need to have a medium that I could do it myself. From that moment, it took two years to get a real, you know, good relationship with a couple of my um, 
guardian angel. Mm. Uh, it, you know, and now I think it probably with what we now know, it could be done a lot faster. But it isn't a simple process, and it isn't something that can be taken that lightly. Okay. You know, as I said, it's very consuming. Um, it takes a lot of energy. Uh, it takes a lot of silence and quiet. Mm. Um, but it's immensely rewarding because, of course, you find yourself in the right place at the right time. Interesting. Um, you mentioned John D, who's somebody that I have a huge interest in. Um, and I have a couple questions about that. One is, obviously, in, in D's work, there's this concept of the angelic language. Um, and I'm wondering if that's something that you have had experience with or something that maybe you've seen in inner visions, uh, something that is suggestive of that, uh, a type of inner language. I played with the idea, but more as an artist, you know, plays with just letting his hands go and, you know, letting thoughts come in. Um, I'm not sure that a language is really necessary. Okay. Um, <laughs> to say the truth, you know, because the intuitive connection. Now, don't, don't, don't forget that John Dee was using a medium. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's, as far as I'm concerned, that's one step away from, you know, which is the real essence of it. Interesting. Um, and I would say, you know, without really knowing too much about John Dee's psychology, that he was probably, you know, giving away his power in a sense, uh, you know, to uh, whatever his name was. Kelly. Yeah, Edward Kelly. Yeah, Kelly, that's right. And that who I think too, <laughs> had some other agendas going, probably put it that way. Yes, that seems to be the case. But I think with Dee, uh, uh, he couldn't. He couldn't make into, he was so hyper-rational, obviously, because he was a scientist and a mathematician and, and, yeah. and all of this. Yeah. That, uh, he, he could not, or he felt at least that he could not, his method was scrying and he couldn't, uh, he couldn't uh, break through in terms of scrying. Although there's a really fascinating part in the records um, where an angel tells him, I think D at one point laments to one of the archangels that uh, he can't scry, he can't see them in the scrying mirror uh and kelly can but d can only see them in his imagination and the angel says right. that's actually better than scrying absolutely it's exactly what that really corroborates my point how interesting i i have never heard of that yeah it's but buried it's, it's buried in there but and i don't think people have written about it but it's it's uh i found that i found that pretty fascinating and it cuts to the core of what, what you're saying and what i've i've you know experienced also which is that the real hurdle in um, teaching people uh, intuitive processes or, or magic or psychic abilities is that it comes through the imagination. And obviously we have a bias in this culture that if it's through the imagination, it's not real, it's not valid information. Yeah, we think of imagination as something imaginary, you know, or something creating the imaginary. I see it more as a sort of a two-way, a two-way mirror, if you like, you know, that can receive stuff and also, you know, <laughs> can be used as a mirror. You know, it, it, it works both ways. Um, and I think uh, some, some, I think, exploration of what, what they call an eidetic screen, you come across that. What is it? Yeah. Eidetic screen is, is the kind of screen that we have in, you know, the back of our foreheads, you know, that when we create images, they, 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 seem, to, they seem to float on this eidetic screen. Ah, right? okay, okay. Now, if, then if someone takes it one step further and realizes the eidetic screen is itself a two-way device, you know, in other words, can receive impressions mm-hmm. as well as be the recipient of impressions created, you know, from the 
uh, of the imagination, <laughs> if you like. Um, but that's a, it's a nice sort of kind of hardwired way of looking at it. You mm. know? Interesting. Um, I'm curious, you also talk a lot about uh, fallen angels and rebel angels, and which uh, I think is um, maybe resonates with stuff in the Book of Enoch uh, or some of the Gnostic texts. I'm curious where you, what your beliefs on that are, and how that differs from the general narrative of angels. Yes. Um, well, the first thing is I've been a reader of the Urantia book for about thirty years, um, and I think one of the reasons that Georgia chose me as you know, as the person to really kind of work, work out what she wanted to work out, which is, you know, what really was going on, you know, in the 500,000 years that she's been here, you know, what went on behind the scenes. Um, so, um, yeah, sorry, I, I, I digress myself. Uh, could you, could you ask me the question? Yes. Uh, I'm curious that you, you, you speak about rebel angels and fallen angels. Um, and I'm curious oh, right, what, right, right. what your yes, beliefs on that are. Uh, yeah. Um, I, as I said, I've been a reader of the Arrangia book for some years and, and I didn't know if you become aware of it, but, mm -hmm. um, of all the cosmologies I bumped into over the years, I find it certainly the most reliable in the sense that it resonates best with my heart. Right. Oh yeah, that is that feels right. That feels like it happened, um, and it's a very substantial book, um, purported to, I should say, um, um, channeled by the angels um, through the of the half of the last century, I guess, for a long time to come through and come out. It's a, a long book, over two thousand pages, but it is very, very um, specific about the angelic uh, story, if you like. Um, so when I when I was, I don't know, when Georgia came to me, I guess I should say it that way, um, I think it was because I had some sort of basic understanding, you know, this is, uh, that emerges out of the, out of the Arantia book, um, that she could then use as a sort of platform for telling her story, which both substantiated for me the validity of uh, the Urantia book. You know, it's, it's, you just have to pick it up to realize how how very weird it is mm. to be actually reading words that have been come through the angelic intelligence. And the angelic intelligence is very different from us. Interesting, it's, it's rather more specific and more didactic. You know, um, can be a little catchy at times. It's not enormously humorous, although it can be very humorous at certain times. But it is somewhat different from us. It doesn't have these tremendous jumps of intuition that we're capable of making of, of bringing things together that the angel would have no idea of bringing them together. Mm. That's our particular ability. Um, so, yeah, I mean the idea of angels. Yes, I came across them in my in my um, near death experience. That's that's why I knew they were real. Right? What was that experience? Um, in 1973, I had a, I basically died and and was lifted out of my body and went through the whole near death or after death process. Was given the choice to continue or to return. I was told I had to accomplish what I came to came to do. And then I saw angels, and then I got healed of what I was was basically killing me, and uh, 
and came back a changed man, you know. I mean, that's really where my, I wish where my adventure began because I've been at it for a long time. Uh, but that's really, that's where this last sequel started from. And that's why I'm so, you know, impelled to try and get across to some extent, you know, all these people who've got the ears to listen, that yes, angels are real, very real indeed. And yes, when we die, we will encounter our angels. We will see them as friends, experience them as friends who know us, who love us, you know, and we will continue our journey along with them. So (laughs) probably worth getting, getting in contact with them. Okay, so um, so yes, I've been reading this John D. material, and the angels um, are extremely fire and brimstone, and concerned with uh, the expurgation of sin. Uh, obviously, this is the 16th century, um, and I'm. But it, often, when I talk to you, uh, trans mediums or or channels or people who work with angels, now they definitely insist on a message of unconditional love. But that is not, and by any, I mean it's certainly not what's in scripture. Um, so I, I, again, it's interesting because that's interesting, interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One is one of the concepts from your work that Jen always impressed on me was the idea of midway creatures and kind of what you were saying before that there are so many different groups and tribes of spirits essentially. And it's very hard to get a sense of who you're talking to. And obviously, when working with uh, mediums or channels or things like this, they the, the stories never quite cor- uh, corroborate. And so, I guess I've got a couple questions on that. One is uh, how you believe, how you feel, the angels feel on questions of morality, of human morality, and certainly judgment. You talked about meeting your angels after your death. And the second one would be, um, how do you know you've got an angel on the line? Well, uh, yeah, the two very substantial questions. Um, well, let's take the second one first. How do okay. we know what an angel on the line? Um, as I said, this is—it's a process. It isn't something you can sit down in an afternoon and you know, five hours later you're chatting with your angel. It can happen right, if somebody is particularly open and particularly trusting of their own intuitions. It can happen, but with the general state of our consciousness is it really does take a, a, quite an amount of time and there's a sort of testing that goes on you know I frequently you know um, simply ask the angels you know to help in a particular situation right? I'm driving I don't want the police to stop me for some reason I ask the angel you know to please close the eyes of the policeman towards me you know now who knows <laughs> who knows how they but it's an act of faith, it's an act um, that uh, credits the uh, angels with you know, the reality to be able to you know, intervene for a benefit if one's about you know, good work and not, <laughs> you know, not asking angels who's going to win the next race. Okay. That's, that's not what it's about at all. Um, but it's a, it's basically, as I said, an incremental process that is more to do with trusting oneself than trusting in the angel. Because as we as one learns more about oneself, one one actually starts to discover what is truly oneself and what has been grafted on through a lifetime of people, other people's ideas, other people's expectations. Like, 
This is what I mean by incremental. All those things have to be really examined and let go of. Hmm. Right? And sometimes they don't want to be let go of. Sometimes they say, no, we're here, we're protecting you. You know, you have to talk them into moving on and say, no, I, you know, I can protect myself, thank you very much, you know. Some, some entity that joined me at age five, you know, thought I could protect me. No, thank you, I don't need it anymore. So, let's <laughs> go on. Um, so that's, that's, in a sense, part of uh, learning the trust thing, because anyone will tell you things that you don't know, right? Mm. Mm. Things that feel absolutely right about yourself, but you don't know and that you could put to use. You don't get other entities saying things like that. It, it, it's really a different ballgame. You know, from you know, working through a medium or you know, doing doing one of those um, almost like playing with Ouija uh, boards or, or whatever. Uh, this is very substantial and very deep. Um, my own angle on it. I get back to the first question, which is yes. very uh, This really, because I have always felt in my heart um, some kind of a that. I must have done something really awful to get here. What happened to Basic? You know, which came very young. Uh, you know, because I was born in a war. I was, you know, my first memories of bombs dropping on me. You know. mm. <laughs> I had to spend half my life, you know, dealing with all the various repercussions of, of, of what happens to a human psyche uh, when people drop bombs on him. <laughs> so that, that was a provocation. Believe me, because I just needed to know how did I, how did I get so damaged? Hmm. And that part of the circuit again. And um, well, yes. yes, get back to the rebel angels briefly. So I started to, you know, barreling into the archives and looking at the areas and found very interesting how many cosmologies include some form of angel, some form of rebellion, some form of war going on, you know, above and beyond, which is affecting them. Yes. Now, again and again and again, you see it. You know? But the, where it's most clarified, the really way is in the Arantia book, which is very specifically described as an angelic rebellion that affected 37 planets in a system of a thousand planets. Only 37 were affected by it. We are one of those 37 and probably certainly one of the three worst affected by it. Um, one of the outcomes of that is that the angels who were uh, taking care of this particular planet right, also joined into the rebellion. Right? So, one of the, as I say, one of the outcomes is that we were cut off. Well, the system has basically been cut off from the rest of the universe. Because it's, it's an enormous, inhabited, very well organized universe out there. Mm. And we've simply been cut off. Because what really happened in this rebellion, if you like, is that the angels who were taking care of the system of the thousand planets simply sort of got together and said, listen, yeah, I, I think we can do better. I <laughs> think we can do a better job. Um, you know, I think we can take more choices, more control. Uh, and the essential break was... The break, you see, repeated again and again in centralized authorities. 
where at the edge of the centralized authority, you get the start of people saying, hey, wait a moment, you know, I think we know more about what's going on here in our little patch than, you know, they do in the center. So the outcome of it was that the the powers that be, if you like, that I call Ma, multiverse administration, essentially said, all right, rebels, you think you know what you're doing? Yeah, go off. Let's see what you can do. And they, <laughs> I don't know that they told them we're going to cut you off uh, from the rest of the universe, but it's kind of fairly obvious outcome, I would guess. Um, and we've been in this situation essentially for the last 203,000 years, according to your age. Long, long time. Um, but this is a time where we're coming, coming out of it. The essential ingredients of the dispute has essentially been resolved. And now it's really a question of just you know, letting things wind down. You know, all the corruption everything has been baked into our systems. It's all sort of coming to the surface and it's all being revealed. And, um, you know, just as we have to clean ourselves up, the planet's also having to clean itself up. We get all these revelations of corruption. This is, this is the, the process of, of, uh, of straightening up. And it's also giving each individual, uh, each individual, have choices, many more choices now than we ever used to have. And, of course, we can only go through having choices. Mm-hmm. And many, we have to make bad choices before we make good choices <laughs> quite often. Okay. <laughs> uh, but when you see this all this happening in the middle of the East, you know, what we're looking at in the sense is a population of people who've been so subjugated and suppressed and you know <laughs> kept under the thumb of rulers for so many years. And now they're breaking out. They're able to think, my God, they're making a choice. You know, I'm gonna leave this country and good enough. What a fundamental choice. You know, I made it, I know how fundamental it is. Hmm. I mean that's really that's how you that's how you grow up, you know. So in this in this narrative, are the uh, the rebel angels the good guys or the bad guys? I'm having because obviously in the in the traditional scripture, the narrative is the rebel angels the are the fallen angels become um, the legions of hell. Yeah, you 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 got to understand priestcraft. Uh-huh. Yes. Priests <laughs> um, need enemies. You know, um, religions need enemies. Otherwise, you really can't. Can't get a religion together unless you've got some something to blame. You know, somebody else to blame. Um, I'm not saying that Lucifer and, and Satan were particularly honourable. You know, they had their faults, but they certainly weren't as, as dreadful as uh, as we've come to think of them. Right. Uh, it's a uh, you see, from the, the largest point of view, there are no enemies. You know, it's more fiercer. It's more um, opposition has to be created in order to find out who we are. You know, you can't be brave and knowledgeable and perceptive unless you have something you know, trying to prevent you from being brave and perceptive and everything. You know, it is a fight. Hmm. To fight to get there, and, and and so it should be. But we're all doomed to become perfect. It's just a question of how long it takes. Uh, so you feel this whole thing is orchestrated for uh, human advancement? Oh yes, oh, yes. Well, I mean, we're we're in a teaching, you know, we're in a university. Like 
well, more like a kindergarten, actually. Mm. And what is the outcome? What is the final outcome meant to be? Um, well, that's kind of up for grabs in many ways. I mean, one could say on one level that um, you know, the students would never be allowed to blow up a classroom. Right? One could say that. Why? It, it wouldn't benefit anybody, you know, if we, if we blew up and vanish and so on. I don't think that is permitted. I think it's going to continue as long as beings need the experiences they have on a difficult planet. Now, I, I also believe that as a planet, we are also moving into a new frame, right? Because I think a lot of the problems that we've been experiencing over the last, I don't know, maybe, maybe 10,000, 15,000 years are, um, are provided in a sense perhaps by, uh, you know, by the levels of corruption and the levels of, of, of difficulty, um, that the, you know, all of us have faced. Uh, it's never, it's never been an easy planet. You know, it wasn't much easier in Atlantis, and a little easier than Lemuria. And they had a better handle on things than we do. Um, yeah. Hmm. Well, I'm wondering what a so what would a person who had fully graduated from this uh, uh, from this process look like? Well, I if, are you talking as individuals? You see, I mean, as individuals, I mean, we simply move through through this frame. We learn what we learn. And then we move into the next frame, you know, after we die. So, you know, there are two things going along simultaneously. One is that each individual soul is going through its own learning process, right, which is us. And then there's a larger frame of what happens when all those individual souls all bump together and create a society and create, you know, a social enterprise on the planet. What happens then? Now, there have been planets that have, you know, become uninhabitable through, uh, you know, through mortal, much like us, misbehaving, you know, in, in, in very, uh, very deep ways. So that's why I take somewhat up a grab. Now, I, I also do know, and this might sound a little strange or something, you know, but over the, over the last few years, I have actually heard of at least five extraterrestrial um, evacuation plan, one of which said, says they can get everybody off the planet in, in, in 20 minutes. So, uh, you know, there's also that aspect of better in mind. Um, but it's more, to, it's, it's really more to do with each individual. Mm. So you've also written a lot about extraterrestrials and dolphins, uh, uh and contacting the, these, these extra human intelligences. I'm wondering how you see these other beings fitting into the uh, the tapestry. Yeah, that's really how I started this this more recent phase. Okay. With, with sorry, I need to wet my whistle. Um, with dolphins, through a number of synchronicities back in the early eighties, I got to swim with a pile of dolphins, or the uh, uh, ultra close to where was it? I can't remember where it was at the moment. Um, and from that, that period, that, that experience, I came to understand that we're sharing the planet with another you know, highly intelligent species. It's just that their intelligence is slightly different from ours. Hmm. 
you know, they move a lot faster. You know, the whole internal mechanisms work, I think John Lennon would say, between 10 to 20 times faster than ours do. So we miss, we miss the jokes, you know. <laughs> um, now, that then kind of, um, I, one of the questions I asked the Dolphin was, well, you know, since uh, we've seen extraterrestrial craft uh, known for coming, coming and going from the water, what, what do you know about them? Um, and I think the day later, uh, my girlfriend and I were looking out the window in the evening, and boom, there we had our first extraterrestrial experiences, you know, a craft just, you know, and government crafts don't do dancing in the sky hmm. <laughs> over a 20-minute period. So you had this experience with the craft? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. New York, right where I can park. I'm the, um, actually the highest part of New York. Um, north. And um, this craft, <laughs> round craft, moved across the sky. Um, I mean, it was the archetypal UFO. <laughs> if anybody had ever wanted to come up with a, a drawing of a UFO, it would look like that. It was a UFO. And as it disappeared over the horizon, a little guy, maybe, I don't know, about eight or nine, maybe, with somewhat of a European accent, accent, just wandered up to us. He'd noticed us looking at the sky and photograph of it. Oh, he said, don't worry about that. Just a star car. Now, I sent shivers back. I actually get shivers down my spine right now. I'd never heard that. I and mean, it wasn't, you know, in the... It wasn't in the sort of lexicon of science fiction and stuff like that. Star I never heard of it. But I said, what's well, soccer? And out it came. Oh, it's a one or two person craft used by explorers or tourists, blah, 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 blah. And my goodness, you know, what was going on? And obviously, he came over the next 20 minutes. I came to realize that he had somehow was, was patched in or channeling the people in the craft. Because there's certainly two of the statements certainly were. Uh, once he stood up, he said, we haven't seen a film on this planet for 10,000 years. Um, and the other one was uh, <laughs> uh, caveman to civilization overnight. Now, this is an eight-year-old. And, um, you know, I got into asking him, you know, about uh, politics, you know, out there, and whether the warlike planets, oh yes, they're, they're eight or ten, we just leave them alone, um, which of course makes sense. Um, on and on, I mean, <laughs> it was just wonderful. Uh, and I managed to get a lot of this into my book. I've taken notes on the back of the cigarette paper. Fascinating stuff. Um, and then, you know, within a couple of weeks, there was a guy up in Toronto who angels were talking through him. Some friends of mine knew about it. I went out there. We spent another few weeks talking with these these angels, and these were the ones who told me I could do it with myself. Hmm. Just to move back to that. Now, so that's kind of ex- experientially how it happened. They were really quite a quick two month period, I guess. And then you know the heat really started when I thought to myself, now okay, this is something I really am interested in. Because he asked my NDE, I realized. Well, the first thing I, I realized that everything was fine, everything was under control. You know? mm-hmm. um, so there was, there was really nothing to 
to be concerned about. But I just, I knew that there were certain things that humanity or aspects of humanity were, were now more ready for, just as I was more ready for an understanding of angels after my ND. And I think, um, I think that, that that's of, of increasing value, put it that way. Hmm. Um, I don't say people should turn away from their everyday lives because that's really where we learn. You know, we learn the most important things. You know, it's other relationships and how to treat people and how to create events with love rather than with fear. Mm. All, all, those are all the lessons in there. So once we get those lessons dealt with, then the kind of books that I'm writing may, you know, will be of more more help to people. Well, let me ask you this, and probably to probably to summarize, um, what are what should people most be doing or focusing on? What are the particularly what are the angels are saying? Uh, what are the most important lessons for people to learn right now? I I, I would hesitate to generalize okay. on that, but if I think it, to answer the, the question behind the question, hmm. I would say that to to un, to really understand that in each situation we have, we can greet it with love or we can greet it with fear. We can greet it with openness and interest or we can greet it with closed-mindedness and self-centeredness and aggression. And, you know, as we go through life, each of these situations basically cleans, cleans us out, if you like, if we take, if we make the choice to greet a difficult situation with love and with openness. This both changes the world, you know, on that weird sort of that weird level that everybody talks about, you know, of, of, of whatever, uh, something flying in one side of the, kind of the world, you know, creating a, a storm on the other side of the world mm. on that sort of level. The most deeply it actually affects us. It, it makes, makes us, if I could put it secretly, a better person. You know, and, and I don't think I need to define what a better person is because I think we all know what a, what, what a good person is. I mean, I just as we all know what a bad person is. You know, they might disguise themselves for a while, but sooner or later we know what, what a bad person is. And this is all back again to trusting our intuitions, not having to to trust, you know, having to trust a, a, you know, a government that lies to us uh, or scientists that really can be more flummery than anything else or priests that, you know, well, we know what priests do. We have to learn the depth of trust in ourselves, in our own intuitions. Because yes. we do know, we all know what is right and what is wrong and we all have God in our hearts. I mean, that's really a weird thing to to say that we all are indwelt by the great God, and that is why angels love us so much. <laughs> They're not indwelt by God. Interesting. So, in in those difficult situations, because sometimes that's hard to uh, enact and remember when things get stressful. Um, and so, in those difficult moments, what are the best? What's the best way to meet situations with love instead of fear, as you say? Well, uh, be cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Be wonderful. That's the first thing. Um, what do you see? What do you see? I mean, okay, let's say, let's say that's the basic sort of the, the ground, you know, <laughs> one of the stars to be, be cool. But as things come up, and this is why 
extraterrestrials are so terrifying for people. It's not that they're so terrifying. It is because there's vibrational, vibration, vibrational, I don't know what I would put it. The speed they vibrate at, if you like, it just has a little bit higher than us. And of course, that brings stuff out in us. Right? And if we have this, and most of us do because we're swimming in a sea of fear, you know, um, then those fears are, are sort of, you know, uh, um, ignited, if you like. Uh, and the same thing with love. Uh, I've, I've come across, for instance, definitely more than four or five uh, people who've been taken into spaceships, you know, the abduction business, and have been greeted and <laughs> really, you know, been treated as kings, you know, had a wonderful time. Nothing like all these other situations with things plunging into you, into you and everything like that. So, yeah, uh, you know, it's a very complex planet. One of the things that most extraterrestrials have difficulty with is because we are we are such a vast collection of different thinking, different beings, different ideas. You know, there's no overall coherence to get their fingers, to get their hands into. Thank you. Thank God in many ways, you know, I think they they probably have done more here by now if they could get across on things, but I think we've been saved from that. Do you think that there are different, uh, uh, something that I hear people talking about often is is uh, people talking about uh, warring groups of extraterrestrials, much like the war in heaven, that there are, there are many different competing groups? There are different agendas. I wouldn't say competing so much because um, this planet, for a whole series of other reasons that we haven't talked about, is actually a very, very important planet on a you know, of a much larger frame, it's an important planet. That's why there are so many extraterrestrial uh, races of express such interest. And in our planet, as far as I know, there's something between 75, Billy Meyer says, and I think 150, somebody else is saying, hmm. different races, right? And everybody has a slightly different agenda, and they're all kind of in, in contact with each other, you know, and they're all, you know, jockeying the thing along, you know. If we need a little bit of, you know, spice up here, there'll be a little spice over here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a family affair. It's, it's a big game, but it's a family affair. And everybody wants to be here, you know. Something's, come, something's coming down the pike. I don't know when, but I would give it sometime over the next five to ten years. I would say. What do you mean by that? What 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 specifically? Well, you know, different ways of looking at it. One way is how bad how bad can things get? Depends on how bad. the election goes, I think. What's that? It depends on how the election goes, I think. Oh no, it, it is far worse than that. No, no, this is to do with the deterioration of the biosphere. Hmm which is far worse than anybody has any idea. Because everything's interacting now, you know, you can't just isolate one bit of the biosphere and say, oh my goodness, the trees are all going, all the ants are all yes. going, all the bees are all dying. Now it's all happening at once and everything is affecting everything else. So things are getting pretty ropey. Uh, so that's one way of inter- you know, looking at it. Another way of looking at it is that we really are moving towards um, a, a period of rejoining of, of rejoining the galactic community, of being welcomed back into the larger mode, of realizing we have been really screwed up and screwing ourselves up for thousands and thousands of years. 
you know, and really sort of moving into a, a real deep understanding of who we are, where we've come from, uh, and, you know, a world of God to start over and to make things right. Um, and then there are other things. I think you know, the angels say they don't know what's going to happen. Even they don't know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> and my experience, I can come up with some good ideas, but God can always come up with better ones. So I tend to leave it alone. <laughs> I just know it's going to be wonderful. Whatever it is, it's going to be a real trip. Well, that's you know, that's a, that's hopeful. Okay. That's very hopeful. I oh yes. Oh no. It's, it's a very positive picture, but it's deeply positive. It's not superficially positive. It's going to be, you know, a lot of scrambling is going to go on as it is now. You know, you can see, you know, the social situation over the last fifteen years has <laughs> gotten very, very, very difficult. For, you know, on a, on a, a global level, hmm. um, much more difficult than it was. And we're going to see more and more of it. So yeah, it's going to be scrappy. But. <laughs> well, but hopeful in the end, I hope so. But that sounds great. That sounds great. Well, we should probably uh, we should probably come to a close. Uh, we're at the hour mark, but um, that was uh, that was an excellent conversation. And thanks for thank delight. you for passing all that information on. My pleasure. Yeah. It was it was a real um, and thank you so much. Yeah, you know, although you may not have read. The book, I think you have an intuitive understanding of what I'm going on about. Yes, yes. So the book is called Awakening of the Watchers, and yeah. it is out now from Inner Traditions. And there's a, several more in the series which uh, to get caught up with. So I'm looking forward to sitting down with those soon. Good. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Hope you really, really enjoyed that. I definitely had a lot of fun in that conversation. Meet us at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E, my school for magic, meditation, and mysticism, where you can learn all the skills you need to unleash your true self. I will see you in class. And until next time, hang in there.